going to invite you this morning to take your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Peter, if you would. The book of 1 Peter. book of 1 Peter. Today we begin a new series called Soul Detox, and uh, you see our props up here, and uh, so we go through this series, it'll be, go for about 12 weeks, and uh, Pastor John and I will be going back and forth, and next week we're going to throw Dr. Sheard in there for the week, and so he'll be sharing with us the Word of God next Sunday morning in this series. But uh, when we think about this, I want you to look here, if you would, at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentile so that in case there are they that speak against you, those who do what is evil, they will be observing your good works, glorifying God on the day of his visitation. Now, in several translations of God's word, it says at the end of verse 11, it says, for the desire they war against your soul. We're going to be talking in these next few weeks, these next 12 weeks, about things that war against our soul. When we think about this, um, we think about what does war against our soul? What are the things, we're going to be talking, we're going to be looking at those things that war against our soul. And uh, we're going to talk about sin's contaminants that are in your soul. Sin's contaminants that contaminate our soul. We're going to be talking about those different sins. Take your Bibles and go back, if you would, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at several different texts this morning. Go back to Genesis chapter, not chapter 1, chapter 2 this morning. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Very familiar portion of scripture here, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living soul. The man became a living soul. We, we think about this word soul, it, it's an interesting word that we find in the Bible find it over 700 times in the Word of God. And often the Bible uses the word soul and spirit together. Now, if I was to ask you this morning, are you a dichotomist or trichotomist, how many of you would say, oh, I know what I am? Oh, good, about three or four of us. Some of you thinking, is that something I have or something I got? Did I get that disease of trichotomy or dichotomy? What we're talking about here this morning is, do you believe that we have a soul, spirit, and body, or do you believe that we're just a soul and body? And uh, you say, well, where do you believe that you are, Dick? And I'm just going to tell you this much. When I was in college, I was a trichotomist, because that's what they taught. And now I probably learn, lean to being a dichotomist soul and spirit. 
And you say, well, does it really make a difference? Like my wife says to me when we talk about end times, when we get to heaven, it's not going to make a difference. We're going to know everything anyway, right? So whether we're body, soul, and spirit, or we're just, or, or just soul and body, God says he breathed into us the, what, breath of life. He breathed into our soul. And, and our soul is often, it's used interchangeably. James chapter 1, verse 21 in Hebrews six nineteen says, our soul communes with God. And then in Romans 8, 16 and 1 Corinthians 6, 20, it says our spirit communes with God. Same, same word, it's just used interchangeably. So when we're talking about our soul, we're talking about our inner being. We're not talking about this body, we're talking about what's inside of us, our, our soul. And so how our soul can be contaminated by sin by different toxins that we'll get in. And over these 12 weeks, let me just give you a feel for what we're going to be looking at, some of the things that we're going to be talking about. For the first three weeks, we're going to be talking about toxic behaviors. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about self-deception, how easy we're deceived. We're going to be looking at septic thoughts. Next week, Dr. Shear will be talking about septic thoughts that take over our soul. And then we'll be looking at this area of hazard waste. And uh, when we're talking about hazard waste, we're talking about uncovering our hidden sins. Then we're going to be talking about toxic emotions. And when we talk about tox toxic emotions, we're going to be look, talking about things like bitter roots. You know, Hebrews says, be careful lest the root of bitterness springs up and defiles you. And then we're going to be talking about envy. Now we become green with envy. We're going to be talking about rage rash and uh, talking about anger and, and how our soul often deals with this thing of anger. And then we're going to be talking about scare pollution, this thing of fear. There's many people that live in fear, and God's Word has a lot to say about fear. Then we're going to move into some toxic influences, and uh, we'll be talking about mood poisoning and... Uh, that's materialism. We'll be talking to Sunday about materialism. We'll be talking about germ warfare. We'll be talking about culture toxins, how we are so affected by our culture and how that affects our soul. And then we're going to be talking about um, radioactive relationships and uh, unhealthy relationships and how we develop those. And then we're going to be talking the last week about religion gone bad. And a whole thing on uh, one Sunday morning about religion and the problems of that. But this morning, we want to talk about this thing of deception, deception infection. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at this toxin this morning. Our gracious God and Savior, Father, we are, Lord, excited to be here today and to be able to start this brand new series and to be able to open God's Word and have it speak to our hearts Father, I pray this morning that you might use God's word to look at our soul and to help us. Lord, it is so easy to be deceived by our own selves into thinking that we're doing okay, into thinking that we really don't have any sin problems. And we know that First John says that he who says he has no sin is a liar. So Lord, help us this morning not to be deceived by our own heart, but to be willing, even over these next 12 weeks, when the Holy Spirit reveals things to us, that we will be open to admit those things and to deal with those problems. 
It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I have to admit something to you this morning. I have to admit to you that I like the reality shows that have music on them. So I was really excited this week when The Voice came on. I, I like to watch that. But I really like watching the first, week, the first weeks of American Idol. Now, I don't usually watch the whole show to the end, but I love those first weeks when the, those, the, they, the judges move around from city to city and they have people who come up and sing to find out who is going to be on American Idol for this year. And the thing that's always interesting to me is I watch those shows and I watch those editions of how many bad singers there are who think they can sing. And I mean, you, you watch them as they do the interviews before they have them get on and they, just, they say what a great singer they are and they've been singing all their life and they've had voice lessons and then after you hear them that you wonder, who is their voice teacher? I mean, who to tell them that they should even get on this program? But they are deceived. They're deceived thinking that I am, I am the next American Idol. I'm, and you, you hear these people say, I am the next American Idol. I am going to win this show. And then they, they open their mouth and, you know, you have to turn the sound down sometimes. They have deceived themselves into thinking they're what? They are good singers. Well, we as Christians, we can do the same thing. We can deceive ourselves so easily. Why? Because we have deceived hearts. Now, you, you could turn there this morning. Turn to Jeremiah. And again, I tell you, we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures this morning. But this is a, a portion of scripture here in Jeremiah chapter 17 that is a pretty familiar portion of scripture. If you've been in the church very long at all, you know that this, you've heard this verse. Um, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, The heart is deceitfully, what? Wicked. And who can know it? The heart, in, in another translation, it says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. And it says, Who can understand it? Right there in that verse, it says, Listen, your heart is deceitful. It's more deceitful than anything else. That means that anything here on earth, the Bible says that your heart is deceitful. Now you say, well, hold it, I got saved. But you know, we still have a heart that deceives us even after our salvation. Even after our salvation, we can be so easily deceived by our own heart to thinking that we're doing okay. We see ourselves through what I call distorted lenses. We, we see ourselves through these lenses of our experiences, of our beliefs, and even our perspective of life. And so we so easily become deceived. In our inner eyes, we flatter. It says, um, D.A. Carson said this, in their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect our hate for sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful, and they fail to act wisely or to do good. Now, D.A. Carson, in that statement, he's talking about Christians in that statement. When he, let me read it to you again. It says, In their own eyes, they flatter themselves 
too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or to do good. Now, let me, let me ask you a couple of questions this morning. Let me just ask you this. And how many of you battle with self-deception? Raise your hand. Okay. I wanna, here's a second question. How many of you know someone who is very self-deceived right now? Raise your hand. Okay. Now... What happens is often we think, well, you know, I really don't battle with self-deception too much, do I? But I know somebody, I know somebody who's self-deceived. And we probably could all sit there and think this morning, yeah, I know who's somebody who's deceiving themselves and they're living in sin right now and, you know, they're not doing what is right. But when we think about ourselves, we weren't real quick to raise our hand, were we? And the reality of it is probably all of us should raise our hands on that question, are we self-deceived? Because here's the thing, I can deceive myself so easy. I can. I deceive myself so easily. Uh, we have an unlimited capacity to, de to deceive ourselves as we lie to ourselves. Just like that person on American Idol who says, I'm the greatest singer there is, we start to believe our own lies. The more we tell the lie the more we believe the truth. The more we lie to ourselves, the more we believe, uh, we believe it. Before long, we wholeheartedly embrace a distorted reality, skillfully created by a willed ignorance. We deny, we suppress, we minimize what is true. By default, we assert, adorn, we elevate what is false. When we finally see the truth, we think the truth is a lie. We could say it this way, those who don't know, don't know that they don't know. Let me say that again if you missed it. Those who don't know, don't know that they don't know. If you're deceived, chances are pretty good you don't know that you believe something untrue. Otherwise, you wouldn't be deceived. If we never identify the lies and replace them with truth, we will forever crave a healthy life on a diet of poison. And so many times today, we take things into our, in our mind, we think those things through, and we begin to believe them. We look at our own lives. The Bible says in the New Testament, it says we look into the mirror, the mirror of God's word, and we see the sin, and then we walk away from it, and we don't deal with it. And so we have hearts that are deceived, hearts that are deceived. We view ourselves through distorted lenses. We always must view ourselves through the lenses of God's word. The problem is that so often we view ourselves through the lenses of this world, this worldview, instead of through the lenses of God's word. You know, there's a lot of books that are written out there today. And you, you, know, you can buy those books and you can read those books. But let me tell you, before you believe what those books say, you must always look at those books through the lenses of God's word or you can be easily deceived. And so as we think about this, the, the, the very first thing is when we think of deception, it's our heart is evil, easily deceived. The second thing I want to talk to you about this morning is this thing of uh, desensitized to infection. We're desensitized to infection. And uh, 
what happens is we become callous to sin. There was one summer that I went to work for my grandfather, and uh, back in the late 60s, I think it was 69, I went up to his um, house there, and uh, we were going to till a garden. Now, that, he didn't have a tiller. And so what we did was we went out every day, and we worked with a rake. And uh, again, I think I was a freshman in high school, and for five hours a day, I was working tilling. And by the end of that day, I had blisters. And so I remember going in at lunchtime, because we started like with my grandfather, you know, I got up when the sun did, and by five or six you were out. And so by noon I went in, and uh, we sat down to eat, and I had blood here. And my grandfather looked over at me, and he said, looks like you're bleeding a little bit there, son. And I said, yeah, I have a blister. And he said, well, just eat your lunch. It'll be better after lunch. That's what he said. I can still remember saying that to me. And... Uh, <laughs> And I said to my grandmom, I said, you know, yeah, do you have anything I can put on that? And she said, well, you should wash the dirt off your hands before you eat, son. And they sent me back out to work, and I worked all afternoon, and I got up the next day, and by the third day, you know what I had noticed? That this had become calloused. And for a week, I worked in that garden, and I, and I got used to it. I got used to it. I became what? Desensitized even to the pain. It, I just became calloused. And sometimes that's how we are in our Christian life. We become calloused. Desensitation can, can and does happen in the spiritual realm. The spiritual callousness is in response to the wicked world in which we live. Through television, through radio, and other media, we are constantly bombarded by evil. The problems Christians face today is one of remaining righteously indignant towards evil. Go over to 1 Peter, and let's look at an example of this. 1 Peter, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 2. A classic example found in the Old Testament, but Peter writes about it here in the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 2. And we'll start there in verse 7. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. And if he rescued righteousness, lot distressed by the unrestrained behavior of the immoral, for as he lived among them, that righteous man tormented himself day by day with the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the righteous under punishment until the day of judgment. In that verse 7, it says what? Lot. And go back to the story there, and where Lot made that decision that he wanted that land that was all green. He didn't want the mountain areas. He wanted the green pastures of the lowlands. And he gave Abraham the other lands. And he went down, and the Bible says the first thing he did was he pitched his tent. Here's the key, what? Toward Sodom and Gomorrah. He pitched his tents toward those cities. That was the first thing. The next thing is you read through that story, what do you find? You find him, what? In the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And day after day, the Bible says here, his soul was vexed by the sinfulness that was going on all around him, the immorality, all kinds of immorality that was going on there in those cities. But yet, day after day, he 
became used to it. It became what? Normal to him. It was interesting this week, you know, as, as, as I've watched television, they've been advertising all the new programs that are coming on. And I was really interested in one new program because of its name. It was called The New Normal. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to watch the first 10 minutes of this program because what they're saying to me in Hollywood, they're telling me this is normality now. They're trying to tell us this is what we're to accept as normal in our society. So in the first 10 minutes of that program, and that was all I needed to watch because that's all I, I could take, was this. The first shot was a homosexual couple walking down the street with babies trying to tell us that homosexuality is fine. Homosexuality is a sin. I just read this morning on the Together for the Gospels website about a pastor who struggled in his teenage years with homosexuality and who came out of it and who still today has those tendencies. He doesn't go there, but he knows he has those tendencies. In that writing, he said, it's a sin. It's a sin. And so in the first, that's the first thing it shows us. The very next scene, as it moves from that, it shows a couple, not a husband and wife, but it shows a couple in bed together committing adultery, and it was pretty vivid. And then it moves back trying to tell us as we go to a park, and there's all kinds of different people. It introduces you to a prostitute who talks about prostitution. It makes it sound like prostitution is fine almost. And then once she was done her prostitution, she now decided to have kids, and now she's raising them. And then then again, it comes back to try to tell us that homosexuality is fine. Listen, that's what the world says is normality today. And the thing is, is we will sit and we will watch those programs and programs like that and we will become desensitized to sin and pretty soon, because we've watched it and we put those things in our mind, we'll think that's what? Normal. We'll think it's normal. And that's what the world wants you to do. It wants you to believe that it's normal. Prolonged exposure to lasciviousness, a life that is wicked, causes our consciousness to become calloused. And I'm not going to stand up here and say you shouldn't have a television in your home, but I'm going to tell you what, you need to monitor what you watch because the more you put into your mind, the more you're going to say, oh, it's okay, it's not a big deal, and it's okay to watch those things, it's okay, and it's not a big deal. It's the new normal. And we, what, as Christians, we buy into that. And we become desensitized to sin. So what are we going to do? How are we going to detox our soul? How are we going to detox our soul? First of all, there has to be self-examination. Self-examination. You know, before I even get into this, I want to give you an illustration this morning because I even think when it comes to self-examination, this is how some of us think about it. I remember the day about eight years ago when I went into a doctor's office and had gone through some tests and he sat across from me and he said, you've got cancer, you need to have some surgery to deal with this thing. And I walked out of his office and I went home and I Googled the kind of cancer I had and looked it up and I said, you know what, I really don't believe him. I don't think I'm going to worry about this. So I lived another 10 years and then finally I died. And you say, well, you're back. No, that's not what I did. Now, how many of you, when you go to the doctor and you, you, he says, he gives you this diagnosis and then he gives you a prescription, 
You go home, you Google it, and you say, well, you know what? I really don't think he knows what he's talking about. I mean, I have Google after all. I know better than he does, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even going to take this prescription. I'm not even going to worry about it, and we just set it aside. How many of you do that? No, no, we might go home and Google. But what do we do when we get a prescription? We do. We go and what? We get it filled, and then we take it, and, because that's what the doctor says. Because he's examined us, and he's run tests on us. And you know what happens? He's examined us, and he says, this is what you have. You've got a problem. Now deal with it. And, and the, the problem is we have a sin problem. I don't need to go to a doctor to find out I got a sin problem. I already know that. The problem is this, is even when we examine ourselves, sometimes we won't, don't want to deal with reality. And so the person who is physically sick and does not deal with reality eventually what? Dies. And the person who is spiritually sick and has these diseases in their soul and needs to detox, needs to get rid of these things and doesn't do it, spiritually you will die if you don't deal with it. But it starts with self-examination. It's self you know, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40 says, Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. That word examine means a close examination. It means literally going through every area of our heart and looking at it. It tells us in Psalms 139, verses 23 and 34, or 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Here the psalmist David is saying, Lord, search me, try me, examine me, point out to me any area in my life that is not right with you, and let me deal with it. Let me warn you, the closer you get to uncovering a toxic killer in your life, the harder your enemy will fight to keep its grip on you. Listen, Satan, it's okay for you to examine your life, but he, don't, he doesn't want you to do anything about it. Be careful when your heart's thoughts run to, to things like this. And I know these statements, and I'm going to give them to you this morning. I know them because they've run through my mind also. Let me give you these statements. I don't have a problem with this. I don't have a problem with overeating as I eat a donut. It's really no big deal. It's not a really big deal. It's just a little sin. Or, I, I'm not as bad as most people. Or how about this one? I can quit anytime I want. Did you ever say that one? I can quit this anytime I want, but yet you do what? You continue to go there. You continue to have those thoughts. You continue to do this. Or how about this one? This is just the way I am. I can't help it. Have you ever used any of those? Have you ever used that? I don't have a problem with this, or it's really no big ideal or a deal. It's, I, I'm not as bad as someone else, or I can quit anytime I want, or this is just the way I am. Have you ever used any of those? If you are, if you've used them, then you've probably got a problem. How about Peter? Take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 26. Peter, Peter had this problem. Matthew 26. 
Peter is just like we are often. Matthew 26. We'll start in verse 31. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. Verse 31 says, Then Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will run away because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now here, this is Jesus. Remember, this is Jesus talking, and he's talking with his disciples, and he looks at him and he says, Listen, tonight every one of you is going to deny me. Every one of you is going to turn your back on me. Now, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And what does Peter do? What does Peter say immediately? Peter told him, even if everyone, verse 33, even if everyone runs away because of you, I will never run away. Jesus says, I assure you, Jesus said to him, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And what does Peter say? Even if I die with you, it says, even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. Not me, Lord. All these other disciples might do it, but no way am I going to do it. What is Peter? He's deceived. Jesus is saying, you're going to deny me. And Peter wants to argue with him and say, no, I'm not. And, and we do the same thing. Jesus will point something out into our life and we'll say, yeah, I know it's there, but it's no big deal, Jesus. The Holy Spirit who lives within us for the purpose of convicting us of sin. That's one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit, to convict us of sin. And when we're, we're convicted, then we'll just push the conviction away. We won't even deal with it. God said it, but he wouldn't believe it. What's the point? Listen when someone points out your sin areas. Proverbs 15, 31 and 32 says, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. He who ignores discipline, it says, despises himself, but whoever hears correction gains understanding. What's that verse saying? Listen, if somebody comes to you and says, listen, I see something in your life, and you say, well, it's no big deal, I'll deal with it later, or, you know, who are you to tell me when there's something wrong with my life? It says you're foolish. And, 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 you know, again, that's why we go back to last week's message. When we see someone who's wandering out there in sin, what does it say? You who are more spiritual, you have dealt with the sin in your life, or you're dealing with sin in your life, what are you to do? You are to go and restore them. You are to go and bring them back. And so here's what it says. When somebody comes to you and says, listen, I see this in your life. I think you need to deal with this. And you say, hey, listen, get out of it. Get out of my face. I don't want you telling me what's wrong. The Bible says you're a fool. It says you're unwise. That's why, you know, that's why we need each other. I need you and you need me. We need accountability. Because I'm so easily deceived, I need you to come to me and say, Dick, I see this in your life. You need to deal with it. Just like when I see things in your life, I need to come to you and say, listen, this is in your life. You need to deal with this. And instead of pushing that brother or sister away who really loves you, what do we need to do? We need to listen to them. So, you know, it's not that I don't think that we're here in this world to be examining everybody else, and then when we see it, and that's our job, 
Some people think that's their spiritual gift, is to be looking at everybody else's life. No, listen, some things are what? Some things are just evident we see in people's lives. And what do we do? We, in a loving way, we confront them about their sin, and hopefully they turn from it. And so when somebody comes to you in a loving way and says, listen, I see this in your life, don't push it away. Don't say, eh, get out of my face. Say, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to care for me and being willing to point that out. That's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to have somebody come to you and say, hey, listen, this is in your life. But we need to be doing that with each other. Why? Because we are each other's brothers and sisters in Christ who ought to love each other enough to want to deal with things. We ought to always be looking to improve our walk with God. Take your Bibles as we close and go to Psalms 51. This toxin of self-deception. As we go through this next 12-week series together and we look at these different toxins that affect our soul and make us spiritually sick and God points these toxins out to us, then we need to be just like David here in Psalms 51. We need to be just like David when he saw his sin finally and finally dealt with it. Um, We need to do the same thing. Look what it says here. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born, I was sinful. When my, and my mother, when my mother conceived me, surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Well, look what he says there. He says, you are right to judge me, God. He said, after all, I was born what? Sinful. Here's the problem. When we think about soul detox, every one of us are born into this world with sinful souls with souls that are sinful, with a life that's already separated from God. And God knew that, so what did he do? God took care of this problem of sin. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin and my sin to be buried and to arise from the grave victorious three days later so that we can be cleansed from our sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood. That blood cleanses our sin. It washes our sin away. And that's the great thing about that. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's where this thing starts. If there's never been a time in your life where you said, you know what, I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God and because of my sin, I'm on my way to hell... But you know what? I don't want to go there. I don't want to spend eternity separated from God. I want Christ to be my Savior. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus and His death and His burial and His resurrection. If you've never done that, this morning you can do that. And you can be cleansed from your sin. 
Now here's the problem for the rest of us who have done that and have a relationship with Christ. We're like the disciples. As we walk through this world, remember with the disciples in the night of the upper room as they came in, what was the first thing that they sat down? What did Jesus do? He washed their feet. That was a symbol. Remember when he got to Peter, Peter said, you know, wash my whole, whole body. Jesus said, you know, your whole body doesn't need to be washed. You're already clean. What was he saying? Listen, once I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven. Once I've accepted Jesus Christ, I have been totally washed. But as I walk through this world, as I walk through everyday life, I'm going to get what? I'm going to sin. I'm going to get dirty. I'm going to need to come to Christ daily, often for what? Confession of my sin and for him to cleanse me once again, for him to wash my feet. And so as we, if you're here this morning and you've never done that and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can do that this morning. Jesus can become your Savior this morning. But if you're a Christian here, you need to be like David here in this prayer of restoration. As we walk through this series together and the Holy Spirit points out areas of your life, I want to encourage you to keep coming back here to Psalm 71, where our soul can be cleansed. That's the great thing. Listen, Christians are not perfect people, are we? Christians are people who need to be cleansed daily. Just because I have the title, or Pastor John has the title of pastor's, doesn't mean that we don't struggle with sin. We are often having to come to Christ for his cleansing. The thing is, let's not be deceived. Let's be honest with where we are. And let's not be deceived in our soul. Let's deal with our sin as God reveals them to us.